Hi there, this is Ashley Farode, and you're listening to Behind the Bio, the podcast about the people behind the professions. In this episode, Kate Freeman is my guest. Now, Kate is a nutritionist and a business person at that, as well as a blogger and heaps of other things that you'll get to find out about during the episode. Now, I've wanted to speak to Kate for quite some time, ever since I met her at a vice chancellor's dinner, where she was a finalist for the Alumni Awards at the University of Canberra, and pretty much chewed her ear off about all the things that I wanted to know about nutrition, well-being, and those kind of things. Yes, I am clearly one of those kinds of people. Now, the truth is, she is very interesting to talk to from various points of view, whether it is about how she established the business, what got her into nutrition in the first instance, what it all means in the current world, and how she helps people understand what well-being through nutrition is really all about. If you're interested in that world, then this is most certainly the podcast for you. And you also get to find out why I'm obsessed with cacao nibs. Well, as all the episodes actually in this series, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kate Freeman on Behind the Bio. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm really well, Ashley. How are you? <laughs> we're laughing because I just had a really bad session with technology, could not get two mics to work. So we're sitting nice and close. I hope this is not too intimate. <laughs> no, I think it's fine. Maybe we should have like a, a spit glass yeah, between look, us. <laughs> why not? Or like one of those PC helmet things, you know, something like that. But yes, indeed, a bit of trouble with technology. But it looks like everyone can hear us. That's the most important thing. Absolutely. All right. We're actually sitting in your office uh, in Woden, um, which is kind of cool. It's actually a lovely office, I have to say. Thank you. Um, I'm feeling well but just by being here I think <laughs> that's nice <laughs> now I wanted to break up the conversation in two parts if that's okay um sure. you know well you know we did meet uh when we were I think invited to the vice chancellor's dinner yes. uh, quite a few months ago uh, before the alumni awards um and I think I found you because I'm like this is an interesting person to speak to especially about nutrition and all those kind of things related to health um not that I'm particularly obsessed by it but I most certainly love the science and the reality of it. In other mm-hmm. words, understanding things, not just because they sound good, but rather knowing the science and then being able to apply them in your life in such a way that does actually make you feel better and, and yeah. those around you. And so I, I got stuck next to you, or you rather, you got stuck next to me. Um, <laughs> and then I went down a whole tangent of things and we spoke about some really interesting things. And then I had to check with you whether it's okay to eat cacao nibs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you said, it is, Ashley, but don't eat as many as you do. Maybe just back off on that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> So, uh, yes, the idea of talking to someone like you, it is exciting to me. But I thought we'd break up the conversation into two parts. One, I just wanted to kind of find out how you got into this in the first instance. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, I thought we could probably talk about some things in the field and how that's changing, how people are perceiving nutrition and, yeah. and wellness and health and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So first things first, um, I've, I've cheated a little bit because I know your background because Obviously, there was a bit of uh, press about you recently and you've done some great stuff. So I know, but perhaps our our listeners might not. Tell me, when did you study? What did you study? How did this journey happen to take you to where you are right now? Yeah, so it's been quite a journey, actually. So I graduated from my very first nutrition degree. It will actually be 18 years at the end of this year. So 2004 with a Bachelor of Science majoring in human nutrition from Uni of Canberra and yeah, that was a feels like a, a lifetime ago, actually. And I got married 10 days after my final exam. Nice. And so I've been married 18 years at the end of this year too, which I still don't feel old enough to be married that long, but it's <laughs> true and I am that old. Um, but, yeah, I guess fast-forwarding a few years from there, I had a bunch of different jobs, did some corporate health consulting, worked for Federal um, Department of Health and Ageing, and then found myself – on maternity leave with my first baby, Asha, who was a very good baby, actually. Mm. She was quite quiet. She hardly cried. Right, one of those. Yeah, and I was fully prepared for the opposite of that because, you know, first baby, everyone's like, well, aren't you in for it, you know, right? Mm. Becoming a parent for the first time. And I was quite bored, which seems really strange. And don't worry, my second child really (laughs) flipped that on its head. So don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I got my parenting um, experience in due course. But, yeah, I was bored. I I tried a bunch of different things because I think I just have that sort of restless style of personality Mm -hmm. where I just can't do nothing. And I started a healthy eating blog because I was subjected to daytime television and the silly diets and 
infomercials that were constantly up on them all day. And I thought this is actually ridiculous, this kind of information. But I felt like if I'm spending this time watching TV and this stuff is presented in an educational way, this is essentially educating Australians on nutrition Hmm. and it's marketing and it's poor information. It's, It's gone to gender, it's trying to sell a diet. And I remember thinking healthy eating doesn't need to be that complicated um, and have so many rules around it. And so, yeah, I just started writing. And then around the same time I started blogging, I think I'd been doing it for a couple of months. My mum read it and a few other people. (laughs) But Amanda Whitley found my blog. Yeah. And so I remember eating peanut butter on toast while talking to her on the phone. And she was like, do you want to write for her Canberra? I'm starting up a new website. I can't really pay you, but be fun, right? And I was like, sure, yeah. sounds great. So that was amazing because, of course, as you know, her Canberra mm. has grown enormously and we've kind of grown together. Yeah. My contribution to her Canberra has always just been a voluntary contribution, but in return I've grown my business through that and it's been a really great way of expanding my audience and things like that and just – becoming a writer, I guess I never really thought of myself. Yeah, yeah, a communicator, right? Yeah, as a writer, I really enjoyed it. And essentially, as I was writing, I would find people contacting me, wanting more advice. I started doing appointments in my own home two nights a week, which only meant I could see four people a week, really, because I had little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time my son was ready to go off to three-year-old preschool, I was really like, I'd pushed out my mat leave at my public service job for a really long time. And I was like, do I go back and be a public servant, which I hated, or do I really try and give this business a a crack? Mm. So I thought, I'm going to try. So I rented a little office on London Circuit in the city, which felt like a super cool address. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I just – it just grew from there. Within a year I had to bring on other – members of my team, so hired my first dietitian, Claire Wolski, who's still a dietitian on my team now, eight years later. And so, yeah, fast forward, I think it's been, yeah, eight years now since we rebranded into what's known as the Healthy Eating Hub mm-hmm. as opposed to being Kate Freeman Nutrition. Yep. And I have got 12 staff, so eight dietitians, four support staff. And, yeah, we recently actually, super exciting, landed $250,000 investment from a private investor, mm-hmm. which is so cool. Yeah, it's perfect um, timing for this podcast, I should say. Yeah, yeah so we're hoping to build an app, um, take our bricks and mortar business virtual um, and scale it around Australia. Yeah. So So that's a short short summary of yeah. something that is actually taking quite some it's time to put It's been a really together. long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so... I mean, it seems like obviously a great blessing that perhaps when you had your maternity leave, you had the opportunity to kind of maybe reassess and rethink the things that you were really interested in um, and therefore aligning a career to personal interests. Now, this is an interesting thing. Um, your interests, though, I mean, you're a person of science, I should say, right? Yes. So I'm sure that where you're talking about nutrition, that is scientific evidence and, and then pulling that into advice. So yes. clearly you must have, or tell me if I'm wrong about this, but clearly you must, a part of you must be a bit of a science nerd that really wants to know those details. Another part of you, like you explained, obviously gets a kick out of communicating and meeting people and that part of it. Mm. A third part, I should think, is probably around educating or or rather empowering people with knowledge to do better for themselves and those around them. Have I missed anything? Am I right that those are the three elements of you? No, I thought that was actually really good and I want to write them down. (laughs) But no, it's true. I do. I think science has always fascinated me. I actually wanted to be a doctor. I always wanted to be a brain surgeon, actually, from when I was, (laughs) I know, so random, six years old. I was going to be a doctor. Not a rocket scientist? A brain surgeon. Yeah, I don't know why, but I just was like, I'm going to be a, a doctor and definitely a surgeon. I didn't get a good enough UAI out of year 12. I missed out by like three points. And then I missed out by 10% on a, the entrance exam. So I was just like that whole feeling of not, not quite good enough to be a doctor. So I was like, that's okay. I'll do a science degree, do postgrad medicine. But we started cutting things up in physiology and anatomy. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, God, yeah. I can't. I can't. I can't deal with this. Like, this is just, 
yeah, so I really I enjoy anatomy, physiology, biology. I think the human body is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so I was I found myself in this degree, which was really broad. It was a biology degree originally. And I thought, well, what am I going to do with a biology degree? I don't actually want to be a doctor anymore. And nutrition was really similar. First year, all the same subjects. So I was like, school. Nice. I like food. Um, so I switched over. So, yes, I like science. I like understanding it. And I think that the human body is fascinating. The next part, which I can't quite remember, but something about communicating. Correct. Is... I think I like conceptualizing a way of helping someone understand the science because the problem with our misinformation, I think, in nutrition is that marketing or experts, and I'm inverting my fingers here, oversimplify things. So an example of that is that within carbohydrate metabolism, there are a bunch of hormones that regulate that. Those hormones affect various metabolic pathways within the body and there are healthy versions of those metabolic pathways and then unhealthy versions and so an example of that is when somebody is starting to develop type 2 diabetes their body is producing super super high levels of insulin Mm -hmm. their body is prone to storing fat they're not controlling their blood sugars anymore there's high levels of inflammation in their body and even after a master's degree, which I went on and did later, which I skipped actually in my story, but I didn't oh, do that. Why not? <laughs> and the master's was in? Human nutrition. Yep. Mm-hmm. I would still not call myself an expert in carbohydrate metabolism yeah. because it's so complex, is that you then get these people who jump on and they go, insulin causes inflammation, and they just say a little statement like that. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It's interconnected, there are flow-on effects, there are complex pathways, and yes, it's not completely untrue what they're saying, but to say it like that is untrue and is really showing, one, their ignorance of physiology and anatomy, and two, that they actually don't fully understand the science and they're just trying to scare people into their program that they're selling or their book that they want people to read, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. So I like to be able to go, well, the science is complex. Like I have a degree, a couple of them, to understand it. So you can't expect everyday people to have to have nutrition degrees to know how to feed themselves mm. well because that's silly because yeah. we have to eat yeah. every day. But there is an element of helping people understand the science in a way that helps them then practically choose what to eat every day in a way that doesn't feel scary or rule-based and it still feels like they have some – self-efficacy like this ability yeah. to just choose for themselves and and then maybe that's why i added in that last bit about education because you're exactly you're distilling a lot of scientific knowledge into something that the common person i mean this in the nicest of ways can yeah. understand yeah because you know we're, we're specialists and other things we've got other lives you know we have experts such as you to be able to do this for us essentially yeah but in order for us to communicate you need to kind of talk in our language you know, and so you do. But then the last part of it is the education. So say, okay, now that you've got that understanding and you know how this works, and then we look at your particular individual situation, because it's not all, everybody's the same, we can now educate you so that you keep on kind of moving through with life. We're making the best choices around nutrition and yeah. all those things. So I, yeah, it's, I, I completely get it, which I think is why it's interesting. Oh, you know, to that point, uh, there is degrees now in science communication, uh, as mm. you know, right? The reason for that is it's all great for the scientists to exist, but if that science cannot be communicated, a lot of society won't benefit from it. That's um, right. It's a bit like, you know, you need scientists to communicate about a climate change. Otherwise, if you just say climate change, that doesn't really mean much unless you provide some scientific proof behind it. But if you go too deep, then you lose people. And, you know, so somewhere in between, there's a sweet spot. And I guess you're doing the same thing when it comes to understanding our bodies and the way that we take in food and, and everything else yeah, and, and turn that into essentially what we are. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I reckon every probably area of science and probably research more broadly would probably relate to the feeling of there is a lot of good science or studies that gets done that never yeah. reaches public knowledge and we just – have these wives' tales or these old things. Actually, I've really got a good example mm. of that is that many years ago, back early 1900s, we used to think that urine was sterile 
So you wee out and that liquid had no bacteria in it. It was sterile. Sure. So safe for consumption if you wanted to consume your urine. Not that that makes sense because it was a waste product of the body. 100%. Anyway, but sure. But to show you the ridiculousness of current day wellness Mm. is that there is an influencer that I probably shouldn't name publicly, very well known, like millions of followers on Instagram, who brought on a guy who actually advocated for and promoted the drinking of your own I, I don't know what you're talking urine about, yeah. for wellness. Yeah. And not bare grills, not in a situation where not you've got when you're nothing die. else. Yeah. That's a different situation. For general wellness. And yeah. I was like, I want to say swear, but, but I was just, what the yeah. WTF, right? And... I remember actually commenting, you know, this is terrible for a number of reasons, as a lot of qualified nutritionists did on this mm. post, which was good. You know, it's it's not sterile. It's full of bacteria, in fact. And someone, along with another point, and a few people were like, no, no, it's been found to be sterile and rah, rah, rah. And I cited the article from like 1910. I was like, yeah, we used to think that. Here's a meta-analysis from the 80s. Mm which is a, you know, you would know what a meta-analysis is working at a uni. Mm-hmm. The, an overall summary of lots of different research coming together that actually shows that it's full of bacteria mm-hmm. and not safe for human consumption. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yes, it's a, it's a tricky thing for yeah. all this good research to get done and for somehow it not make it to be public truth. Yeah. I, I, I've, I would find that the interesting situation there is just like scientists need to focus information in such a way that we can digest it without being scientists ourselves. Mm. There's also the flip side where human beings all together who have got busy lives, we can't deal with the amount of information that's out there and try to, you know, check peer reviews and party <laughs> tests and all this kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. So what happens is we all would love a single simplistic solution to things, i.e. someone would say to you, you know what, actually it's been found, for example, that chloroform, right, is that their stuff? What's the green stuff in plants? Chlorophyll. Yeah, chlorophyll. You're close. Yeah. Chlorophyll is the stuff you knock you people out with. Then, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, God. What have I said? <laughs> anyway, chlorophyll. Um, yeah. Let's just say someone says it's found to be found good for you. For argument's sake, they found a bit of evidence against something. Yeah. It's so easy then to go, well, the thought it must be good for everyday living. For somebody that's kind of digesting that information, so to speak, it's mm. it's so easy for them to go, oh, great, all I need to do that is, sorry, do is, is to consume that every single day or what have you, and I'll feel that much better. We're looking for simple we solutions are. to big problems that, and unfortunately, that's exactly where that middle ground of people who are marketers are trying to sell dodgy products or influencers or whatever else that don't yeah. have the scientific background are very easy. It's very easy for them to sit in that space yes. and attract people to it. So if someone yells out, hey, drinking urine is actually really good for you, and I found a bit of study for it, I can see how people would somehow get drawn to that because they think, oh, what a simple solution. I've got plenty of it. <laughs> it's on tap. It's on tap. I was just about to say that. It's so gross. Um <laughs> A hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's. I think that we've somehow been able to, whether it was marketing and advertising that did it, or whether it was people like minorities with loud voices that did it. I don't know, but we've mm-hmm. somehow been able to harness the psychology of if I speak with authority on a particular subject, regardless of whether I have experience or qualifications on it, if I can actually write well and you know present a good argument and I'm a likable person that people are going to believe me and it's sort of I don't know it's almost like we're just what's that word where we're taking advantage of the natural human Mm. sort of trait to trust each other yeah it's also if you yeah to trust the person in authority especially if they seem quite Similar to you, how that in psychology they talk about familiarity and similarity being kind of on par. Yes. So it's very much so that if you look to someone who seems like you and they offer advice, you go, well, they, oh, yeah, that makes sense because they're like me. Mm. Or the other thing is if it's someone that you're slightly looking up to because they look good or they have a particular position in society or yeah, whatever aspiration. it may be. aspiration. Yeah, then you attach that. And all yeah. of a sudden, even though they have no scientific backing or qualifications to say a particular thing, you just yeah. go, oh, well, I guess they did the work for me. 
the question that always is, are there scientists, are a doctor? Maybe you should stick to people who are experts in their fields talking about stuff. Yeah. But again, I think it comes from the fact that it's not ill-meaning of anyone, well, at least not from the public side. We're just seeking solutions and mm. sometimes we find them in the wrong spots. That's yeah. What, that's what it is. And I think that's where it's not the consumer's fault because for a lot of people, particularly people who, you know, end up in my clinics and seeing my dietitians. Some of them are struggling with really challenging gastrointestinal problems that affect their quality of life every single day. Others are, are afraid of a brand-new diabetes diagnosis. Yeah. You know, those are really serious, scary health complications. And for someone who's actually never had that kind of health scare before, I can only imagine the desperation yeah. that, that one might find themselves to, to find that simple solution mm. to yeah whatever they're facing so i i absolutely get it and i i hate that sometimes people can feel judged because they've fallen for the yeah. fad diet and i've you know talked to clients about that and i want to be like no it's actually not your fault yeah. you were seeking an answer yeah you just trusted the wrong source you know yeah and that yeah. source was really well disguised and it looked mm. good yeah um i've read blogs and i've been like shit Sorry. <laughs> that sounds good, but I know that at, it's wrong yeah. because I know the science, but it's so well written and so articulate. Yeah. Just on that, um, there are a couple of scientists, and there are scientists, and one of them is a genetist. Actually, he's from Australia originally. A couple of scientists that really love the way they explain things about human lifespan and all those kind of things. And it's really interesting ever since I started reading their articles and looking at their, their, their research and the things that they talk about. Uh, the when I look, say for example, when I Google them and try to find out some other additional things, I've become really aware how often people will take their name and attach it as a lead to a product that has absolutely nothing to do with them. So oh. I ended up, for example, at a site that's, that's, that's terrible. Yeah, no, and and it's exceptionally common. I, I mean, I could show you right now, but it's one of those things where I, I look at this particular person's work um, mm. over the lifespan, and they produce a lot of research and information. It's great, and then sometimes I end up on a site where I'm looking at it, going, "Hang on for a second. I got here because of that person's research." But when I look at the site, it has nothing to do with them. They're essentially trying to sell you a product that's somewhat relevant to that area. Right. Not endorsed by them. It's not mentioned anywhere in the copy. They've just essentially baited that that content. Um, now, again, if I'm, I work in marketing, so I can see through this stuff. But if someone doesn't, it's only one step to then buy those products thinking they were endorsed by that particular scientist, where in fact they're not at all. Um, so it's yeah. there's a lot of shady work that happens in this space yeah and it's very difficult especially if one isn't an expert in i.e science or marketing then you know all of a sudden you're in a dark land and you're just yeah. trying to find a solution for a problem that you've got yeah and here we go yeah yeah absolutely i had a did a talk just recently where a woman was talking about a particular strong influencer in the health space who spouts a lot of woo and she was like, yeah, I'm actually feeling like it's a bit cultish the way I feel about this person. Mm. And I think that immediately is a red flag. Um, even though good marketing tells me if I want to build a successful Australia-wide business, I need to build my own tribe and my own following. But I don't want people to blindly follow my advice, just like I wouldn't want someone to blindly follow yep. someone else's. And I said to her, I said, this, the problem is some of the things that this person says are okay. It's just hidden within a lot of mm. things that aren't so you have to just learn how to be a critical thinker in terms of what you should also do with my presentation yeah. that you've come to tonight to learn yeah. is critically evaluate what i'm sharing with you too yeah but but we don't want to do that because nobody likes to be that person yeah that's true. <laughs> and the other thing too is that you know it, your life and your health you, you can trust various professionals for different things i think once again in that solution for a single thing sometimes we also go towards people as well mm. and in fact a nutritionist is a nutritionist you know i'm sure that if i started speaking to you about i don't know psychological well-being you'd probably say well i've got an opinion on this but i'm an expert on that you probably might want to see someone else correct but yeah. you know if i really love your work and everything about you you could see how i'd probably go oh you just tell me like you know I've, I'm, I'm having a bit of depression and, and this is the way it's going you know suggest suggest something you might say well look there is correlation between depression and particular food choices what have you right and you could go there but you're not going to go into the psychoanalysis or anything like that because you know that that's not your space. 
But again, I could see how that happens when there's an opportunity for somebody to do that and go, mm. oh, actually, now they trust me with everything. Sure, I'll offer some advice. And before you know it, you're leading a cult. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And you can sell your <laughs> particular product to do whatever it is. Yeah. Um, two things I was going to ask you just about the practice. Uh, yeah. The, in terms of the people that come and see you, mm. I don't know if you can make this as simple as that, but what percentage of people are those who are in serious health situations, like the ones you've mentioned, perhaps diabetes, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. versus those who don't show any issues or problems, they essentially just want to do the best thing for their body. Yeah. Do, do you find that it very much skews to those who've already got issues or do you have a group of people who are preventing or in other words being proactive about things just to not even get into a situation in the first instance yeah that's a really good question i reckon we would probably be weighted probably 50 50 maybe erring towards preventative style health. right okay being in private practice so you know it's a fee-for-service we're looking at middle to high income earners being our primary market who can afford to come and get regular sessions so, you know, these people often have reasonably good diets anyway and they're just wanting to optimise things. Maybe they're a bit confused, mm. et cetera, um, and they're just wanting to feel really confident, you know, confident about what they're doing long term. They might have some sort of minor things like oh, their cholesterol is a little bit high or they want to manage their weight differently, things like that. We have, since we've grown... Um, that 50% of more serious health conditions has has grown quite a lot as we've built our GP referral networks in Canberra. Right. So I think there's something like nearly 110 GP practices in Canberra and 50 to 60% of them have us on their books mm. and refer to us. Okay. You know, some a lot and some small, but we're starting to build a pretty good network here in Canberra. And so that is starting to become a much bigger portion of our clientele than what used to be when we first started. Mm -hmm. And so first I would attract clients who saw me on her camera or on Facebook or, and so they would come because they liked me and what I shared. Whereas it's less about me anymore. Yeah. It's more about there's I don't see clients anymore. There's eight dietitians. So yeah, it's a bit more of a referral network. So we probably, yeah, erring down the line of being able to help more challenging health conditions and, and yeah. helping people manage that long term. For those people that, that come, uh, so they don't have a, a health challenge, they just essentially want to optimise or personalise yeah. what they've, they've heard from you or perhaps from, from a nutritional perspective. Uh, do those people often think only about themselves? And I don't mean that in a selfish way. I just mean, <laughs> are they coming for their own purpose or do you have... Um, families coming, for example, saying, look, I've, he's my wife, or he's my husband, and, and he's my children, however this, this works. Um, we want to know that we're doing something that's right together. Because the reason I'm asking this question is, it's interesting, actually, the same scientist that I was just speaking about before, he went through a period in his life where he looks after himself very well. But when his children were um, in their, God, I think they were like eight and so on, he just said that they started all eating really badly. Mm. Um, and, you know, he put on weight and all the rest of it because he said the discipline around good eating and everything else and good nutrition kind of fell out the window a bit and pizza came in and <laughs> all this. Um, he doesn't really talk about that much, but it was an interesting point that he made. And I wondered, do you have people coming to you as a family and saying, help us manage this in a way that, we don't fall into a particular trap, which is then much harder to get out of than if you fall into it in the first instance. Or is it more about one-on-one -on -one consultation? It's definitely more individualised, but we certainly have a lot of parents who will come with concerns about their children. And we never do, you know, put children on weight loss or diets or anything like that because that's actually quite unethical and dangerous. And mm -hmm. so what we always encourage parent if they're coming either for themselves or for their broader family is this whole idea of small healthy behaviors that they can do that then have that flow on effect to what the kids can do because that's going to result in the best long-term health outcomes for their kids both from the kids you know healthy growth and how they you know are operating from a health perspective but also from the child's relationship with food and things like that because the challenging thing that we're finding, particularly since COVID, is that we have these two extremes of clients. We've obviously got people who have quite unhealthy eating patterns, right? It's the typical Western diet, yep. um, lots of ultra-processed foods, increased risk of 
cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, etc. But then we also have an increasing amount of disordered eating and eating disorders undiagnosed presenting to the clinic because the wellness industry is putting lots of scaremongering and lots of rules and lots of um, pressure to have a body that looks a certain way. And it's actually causing a lot of damage to right. a younger generation. So are we talking about, and um, we don't have to talk about the specific diets, but I'm just the first thing that pops into my head, uh, exclusive diets, or whatever they call them, where, you know, someone says from now on, you're only going to eat meat. <laughs> you know, right? Sorry, there, yeah, that, that's actually a movement. It yeah. is, it is. So let's just say that, movement. are you saying that, for example, and whether it's that or, or something else, but mm. the idea that that ultimately causes issues in health or I guess not having a balanced diet and all these yeah. other things. So what you're seeing is an increase as a repercussion of some of those trends of fads. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so essentially what happens is a desire to be healthy leads people to becoming restrictive with their food patterns because we've often associated health with weight loss mm. and then weight loss means that we'd be restrictive yeah. and cut down what we're eating. So a desire to be healthy leads to being a little bit restrictive and it starts off reasonably innocently. Oh, I'm just not going to eat my chocolate anymore. I'm going to start cutting out soft drink. All great habits to do reduce those things. But then it starts being like, oh, now maybe gluten foods are bad or actually maybe all carbohydrate foods are now bad. Oh, now I'm scared of eating lettuce in a bag because what about I read that they're bleached and now I'm going to stop. And so what happens is, is healthy eating becomes unhealthy right. and these people actually are at risk of nutrient deficiency malnutrition um, and they're developing a poor relationship with with food that actually if untreated can develop into a full-blown eating disorder yeah. so it's this really interesting spectrum that we work within where you've got this sort of thing that we're managing so we're trying to help people with healthy eating but also in a way that's looking after their overall social and psychological well-being as well as their physical mm. well-being. When you, We also have this other spectrum of people who could do well with reducing the meat pies and upping the broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic space. I love this space. One of the great things I've heard about being a good leader is the ability to hold two conflicting thoughts in your head at the same time. Mm. Because you constantly, you know, as a leader, you're thinking about daily operations but future vision. Um, and I feel like within nutrition, I'm I'm warring with that all the time. Yeah, right. With this, these two extremes, as well as being, I'm a health professional, but yet I'm also trying to run a profitable business. Yeah. As well. So yeah, it's a cool space. I love being in it. That's actually great. There was again another podcast I was listening to, and the person on that podcast was talking about considering someone an intellectual, and they defined in someone being intellectual as someone who can have a debate within their own head. <laughs> and I kind of thought that is so so true. Yeah, uh, it is. It's having depth essentially, you know. Mm. So I, I completely get that. So the other question that I had is you mentioned when you're talking about your staff before the word dietitians. Mm. I just want to clarify that for a moment. When I think of the word diet, um, <laughs> I think of the word of the things that you eat, like the, the pattern of things that you're eating. But of course, and maybe that's because I've never been on a diet like <laughs> in the true sense in terms yes. of trying to lose weight from it. Yes. In fact, kind of the contrary. My mom keeps on saying, can you eat more because you're really skinny? <laughs> but I... Uh, so, so when you're talking about dietitians, are we talking about dietitians in that sense or dietitians who are actually focused on the idea of weight loss? Or yeah, management? that's such a really good question. So the way that you understand the word diet is the traditional definition of the word, which is... I'm old school. Yeah, <laughs> amazing, which is the, you know, the daily eating pattern of an organism, right, is their diet, what mm. they're eating every single day. But... I think what's happened is is that modern day um, dieting and fad diets means that there's now multiple definitions of that one word. So it's still used as a word to define the habitual consumption of food for a particular human or organism, but it also is another word that describes a rigid set of either food rules or way of eating to produce a particular outcome, mm. most of that being weight management sometimes it's um food intolerance management yep. sometimes it's yeah food chemical um management etc but it's, it's a set way of eating i think what 
is really interesting is, I mean, I've spent a lot of my career in terms of when I've worked with clients in sort of healthy eating, public health, but also weight loss, is that I've actually found myself more and more over the years coming away from wanting to help people to just lose weight because I've actually found that 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 as a goal is really counterproductive for people because you can't actually directly control your weight. Like you can't go and just put on weight to make your mum happy. No, I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> and, and none of us can actually go and turn our weight down and, and make ourselves lose yeah. weight. We can control our daily eating habits and our daily exercise levels, but that indirectly controls weight, if that makes sense. And so it's quite a challenging marker to put at health. And there's actually a really cool growing body of evidence that shows that weight as a marker of health in isolation is actually not a good marker at all. Um, It's called the Health at Every Size Framework. Um, And I'm finding myself more and more drawn to that way of thinking and actually just showing a person why don't you focus your efforts not on what that number says because that's just the measure of your the force against earth due to gravity (laughs) yeah plus you could be really sick and that's why you've got no weight that's nothing to do with health either. yeah Yeah. um but why don't you focus your efforts on the little daily habits are you eating enough veggies you know your meals making you feel full and satisfied what you know what are your snacks focus your efforts on that because often our bodies find a healthy weight as a result of those consistent healthy habits anyway, but we haven't had the stress of trying to get results or trying to control something that we can't actually control. Mm. And I think the other thing is is that, you know, weight loss, most people regain weight that they lose. So are we actually really helping people? So our team do help people lose weight and have over the years but we're finding ourselves more and more leaning towards really strongly encouraging a client it's okay to want to lose weight if that's what you want like no judgment for that if people want to but we'd really love to help you on the things that you can control which is your overall diet quality your meals and snacks your routines your thoughts and relationships with food because as a byproduct i think people will find what they're looking for which is being happy in the skin they're in and yeah. being happy with their food choices. So we are not, we are not yeah, dietitians in that, that sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just wanted to, to check. I mean, I thought that was the case, but yeah. it's just worth talking this out because perhaps other people might have been thinking the same thing. Oh, okay, so that's fine. I actually yeah. 100% think that most people think dietitians are just yeah. going to scold them. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's, that's why I'm kind of almost leaning back to, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised that you're sitting almost at 50, 50 or close to when it comes to people looking at nutrition uh, to kind of make sure that, that they're optimizing what they're eating mm. and and those people who are essentially dealing with with health issues and I thought okay that's great that that means a lot of us are looking at preventative proactive measures yes um, and also by that logic you know we could see a dietitian without actually having the need to lose weight you just want to talk to them about the the rituals that you've got and how that works and maybe which bit is or isn't working and and therefore what could be better in your life yeah. to give you essential longevity i think that's what it comes down to absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's nice it's probably on par with you know thinking of going to the gym you could think well people that go to the gym are about sculpting their body to look good well actually if you just park the aesthetics of it for a moment, particular resistance or weight training, even a low kind of level is very good for bone density and all these things. And actually, we all need it. Yeah. And But most people don't think of gyms that way. It, as soon as you think of a gym, you think, I'm just going to Yeah. And then if and people feel like their body doesn't measure up to a particular standard, yeah. they don't want to go into a gym because they mm. feel like they don't belong there. Yeah. So the thing would be if we could see our insides and that was <laughs> that was the thing, it would be a How's different situation. That for a- invention yeah mm. like if we got turned inside out and go oh yeah. look at your intestines yeah, yeah. A- anyway and then, then all of a sudden everything would change right we'd yeah. stop caring about the gym and we'd start worrying about all the things we're eating to make our absolutely, intestines all pink absolutely <laughs> i don't know why i went here with this your brain yeah sorry interesting no i should good. probably edit that bit i liked out. it i liked it <laughs> um the other question i wanted to ask you is obviously when you're talking about your life and you know that moment of reflection and otherwise uh, a pause and change that you had when you went on parental leave if you didn't go let's just say i don't know you were i don't know whatever it might have been you just you just didn't go through that part of parenthood right magically yep. disappears and you give the baby and off you go mm. 
do you think you still would have found that moment somehow? And the reason I'm asking this question is, I'm sure there are people out there and actually many of the listeners here who think about their careers and why they earn them and what flexibility there is to maybe do something different. I don't want to give the impression, unless it's completely correct, that the only reason you know you had that is because well parental leave in other words if i don't have parental leave in my life i'll never be able to find that moment of reflection mm. i guess maybe that's why i'm leading the question here a bit but do you think that was the only reason or do you think you still would have got to that because somehow inside you there was this passion for what you are right now wow i've never really thought about that i think i think so whether the business would look differently or whether it was even in a different industry potentially i i think yes even if i hadn't had parental leave go the way it had mm. i think i probably would have found myself self-employed yep i think i like calling my own shots i like the creativity and the freedom that i get i can throw myself into something at a whim and follow and i i found the public service quite stifling for sure. that part of my personality. So I probably would have found my way to running a business, I guess, in some way. Yeah. Um, nutrition, I'm not sure because back when I did the degree, it wasn't a passion thing to choose nu nutrition. It was like, oh, well, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, I've really come to love it as a science and – the way that it intersects with psychology mm -hmm. and a bit of counselling and because it's part of our lives every day. So, yeah. So it kind of sounds like if you, you, you the, the, the part of you that was excited about potentially trying something that you were your own boss of, mm. you know, the control essentially, Yeah, you would have listened to that no matter what life threw at you kind of thing. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I think because so. Because for those of us who might not go for parental leave or have this moment of having an epiphany or whatever else, <laughs> how else can we find it if we're in our daily lives? Mm. And daily lives that we might really like. I'm not trying to say people are trying to get out of them, but how do we find the moment? And I guess what I'm hearing is that just listen to that inner voice that says, you know, hey, you are interested and passionate about this. Yeah. You don't want to be your own boss. What does that mean? What could potentially that look like and start mm. working it out that way? So... Yeah. I think I'm a bit of an opportunist, though. So back when I started the blog, I was never thinking, oh, I'm going to own a big dietetics practice and build an app back mm. then. I was just like, had to be doing something creative. And I thought, oh, blogging looks cool. And and then as a result of that, things started popping up and I just said yes to them. Mm. Oh, would you help me build a meal plan? And I'd be like, okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, and then it sort of it progresses. So it's funny because we had I went to a female entrepreneur style event in Canberra a few months ago, and so many of the women expressed that they found themselves as an entrepreneur or owning their own business almost as an accident. They never intended for it to get this big or to be that ambitious. Maybe it was always in there and we sort of squished the ambition a little bit, but mm. They just started with this one little idea that they had and they thought, I'm just doing this for myself. Um, and then they just allow it to grow in front of them. So it's, look, so it's looking for opportunities and not being close to them. I'm, I'm, I mean, that's I all I'm so. hearing. Because yeah. you don't have to – not everyone's got a plan of what they're going to be doing in five years' time. In fact, most of the people I speak to don't. Yeah. Um, and which is why I don't often ask that question because I think it's a bit strange. Yeah. Uh, but it's about – being open to an experience based on understanding truly inside what it is that you're passionate about yeah. or particularly a skill you might have that the world needs to see, you know? <laughs> yeah, or if you have this feeling like, oh, I wish I could do that or build something like that, just have a crack at it yeah. and just enjoy the process of it. It might not work, but it might. Yeah. yeah. I've had so many things that I've tried that haven't worked, but we're sitting in what has worked. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, failure is part of the learning process anyway. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Absolutely. But it's not like you're practicing on patience. You know, this, you're probably talking about other things here. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> other business ideas. Yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> I want you eating meat from now on for the next three months. Let's see what happens. <laughs> uh, and nothing but meat. Uh, the other thing, because we're almost out of time, but the other thing I was going to ask you about is someone in your profession, um, or maybe not even a professional sense, who it is that you look up to? Because I guess we were talking about uh, people finding the answers and hopefully answers in people who've got skill 
backing research behind them, right? Mm. But what about you? I mean, you're obviously sitting in a scientific space and a community that's massive. Mm. Um, so I think part of your job must be just filtering out the rubbish. That's probably it, right? Let's be honest. Yeah. And then kind of picking up on things that are forever changing because the world that we're in especially from a scientific perspective, is only getting faster and faster with development. Mm. So I'm sure you're probably very excited about some things that are on the periphery of not yet being completely researched out, but showing promise, and you're probably keeping on top of that. But what do you find inspiration in? Is it other nutritionists? Is it other scientists? Is it nothing to do with that? Is it someone local? I always wonder what people do. I really look up to a, an Australian nutritionist and dietitian dr tim crow <laughs> he has a podcast called thinking nutrition and he is just a really excellent communicator of science and he's has an academic career which i think i will never have an academic career although i'd like to think i could do it one day maybe i'll retire as a lecturer <laughs> one day i don't know but what are you just, saying that it's a retirement job <laughs> i don't know it just feels like an old person's job but don't oh, hate God. me listening to this people. I, i'm editing this bit out yeah as well. you edit that bit out um i really like dr tim crow he is excellent he just has this way of communicating science that i really admire yeah. and he's just into no nonsense and i often find myself you know hearing bits and pieces in social media or <laughs> on a packet of food at supermarket being like oh what is that and then I'm trying to formulate my own opinion based on what I already know thinking oh, I'm gonna have to research that at some point and then but I'm forming a vague opinion about it and then Tim will release a blog or a podcast episode often confirming what I'm already thinking but he's got the evidence to back mm -hmm. it up because he's read it all and I yep. I often I'm like yeah that's what I thought <laughs> um, so that always makes me feel good that my basic anatomy is and physiology is solid and and he's gone and done the review for me on the topic and given a really nice concise so i'm like yes that's so good do i really sounds. like his work and yeah i've had business mentors and things over the years that i get help from that side of things um but there wouldn't be anyone business-wise that i particularly look up to um i just find i like to sort of observe different people in business and think oh, i like the way they do that or mm. just still bits that yeah, feel yeah. like they fit with me definitely but but I, I like the fact that you know on a simple level you're essentially looking at someone who's a leader in your profession mm. and, and you like kind of not only them in terms of the way they communicate which is really important too that's that second thing we talked about but also from a scientific perspective again they digest things for you in a language that you definitely resonate with yeah so, I, I can see how that would be kind of fueling you. Um, last but not least, uh, let's just say there's someone listening to this podcast who wants to know more about nutrition, wants to kick off. They've seen the fads and everything else, mm -hmm. but are just looking at this mess in front of them, just not knowing where to start. <laughs> yes. Bit of advice. So how they should go about it? In other words, what's the beginning of the journey to not make it overwhelming? Where do they start to kind of go, right, let me have a look at and understand nutrition at a basic level, diet at a basic level, and then start making some informed choices and perhaps reach out to professionals such as yourself. Yeah. Where would you want them to start so they don't freak out? And do they just Google in <laughs> yeah, what should I eat? Yeah, don't Google. Don't Google. That would be the worst thing you could do. I mean, I want to say that they should go to my online program because that was my whole goal with that program yep. is – People are, one, confused about what to eat and then they're overwhelmed because there's so many different aspects of their diet that they could change that they don't know where to start. So my goal was to solve those two problems, was to, one, present easy-to-understand evidence-based information and remove confusion, encourage people to unlearn everything that they've learnt, and then, two, show them where to start. Start here. And the the place where they start is the concept of diet quality, is choosing foods close to nature as possible um, and people are like, oh, I know what a whole food is and what a processed food is. I'm like, yeah, you do. Most people do. Broccoli is a whole food. Tim Tams are a processed food. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't put it into practice and so what my program is different is it then it says start here where you probably know you should start but here's how to do it. And then we're like, then we can talk about macros and more complex nutrition down the line but let's get the fundamentals right and in practice in your life first um what put your mental energy and effort into the behavior change there and then we might tweak things up a mm. little bit down the track but there's no point being like oh should i take this bcaa supplement but you're not even meeting your basic diet quality requirements yeah. 
no supplement's going to help with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's good advice. Well, no, that's it. So essentially, lean into a professional. Yeah. And start off at the basics and just take your time. I think that's that's the other thing. And it's hard, I know, because we all want quick answers. <laughs> yeah. We're busy. I, I completely get that. I mean, I fall into the same trap too. Yeah. But it's just just do your due diligence because ultimately, and this is the way probably the best way you could sell it is. You're really investing in your own body and your body is the vessel that's going to take you through your life well as long as it can. So take the time. Just yeah, get that you right. don't have to fix it in eight weeks. Yeah. Fix all the habits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Look, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. I was going to start asking you like, exactly how many cacao nibs I can eat in one day, <laughs> but we're not going to do this again. You already know. You I already, already actually know. It's true. I already know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Look, it's been beautiful talking to you. I, I really appreciate the session. Thank you very much. No um, worries. People will know where to find you should they want anything from you in terms of either the website and obviously your practice. Um, yeah. I hope I'll catch you at the next I know, awards night or something, and I'll talk to you about something else that I'm meeting at that time. (laughs) Sounds good. Thank you. Take care. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kate Freeman, and I hope the audio quality wasn't too bad. As I said, for some reason, I just became a complete amateur and just couldn't work out the microphones in her office. But I think it turned out okay. As long as you could hear it well enough, then we're all good. Again, Kate was actually a suggestion from a listener that I ran into at a coffee shop, so thank you for that. And I'd like to also thank all the other suggestions that I've received recently. I'm following up on all of them, I promise. If you'd like to give me some thoughts on who I should speak to, then please do so. Ashley underscore at Outlook.com is one way. And if you prefer something like Instagram, then at Behind the Bio Podcast is the other way. Again, thanks so much to Coordinate Group for making this series possible, and I hope you can hang out with me again on the next episode of Behind the Bio.